Hello, everyone, and welcome back to SALT Talks. My name is John Darcy. I'm the Managing Director of SALT, which is a global thought leadership forum and networking platform at the intersection of finance, technology, and public policy. SALT Talks are a digital interview series with leading investors, creators, and thinkers. And our goal on these talks is the same as our goal at our SALT conferences, which we're excited to resume here in September of 2021 with our great partner that we're having on here on today's SALT Talk. But our goal is to provide a window into the mind of subject matter experts, as well as provide a platform for what we think are big ideas that are shaping the future. And I will say that today's guest shares sort of a value set with us at SkyBridge, which is around democratizing access to alternative investments, as well as education around those alternative investments as well. Uh, his name is Matt Brown. He is the founder, CEO, and chairman of CASE. He spent over 30 years at the intersection of wealth management, alternative investments, and platform design. He began his career as a financial advisor at Shearson Lehman Brothers and Smith Barney. And in 2009, Matt founded Case, the first truly open marketplace for alternative investments where financial advisors and asset managers can engage and transact on a large scale. Uh, he spent the better part of two decades working with Endeavor, the world's leading organization for high impact entrepreneurs. Uh, during his tenure at Endeavor, he had the opportunity to mentor dozens of entrepreneurs from around the world including Africa, Latin America, and the Middle East. Uh, Matt is honored to have been Endeavor's South African and Turkish boards, uh, to sit on those boards, which ultimately led to the position on the Global Board of Directors, uh, directors for Endeavor. Uh, it's Matt's personal mission to ensure that anyone with a dream and the drive to achieve it have an equal opportunity to make it happen. Uh, hosting today's talk is Anthony Scaramucci, who's the founder and managing partner of Skybridge Capital, which is a global alternative investment firm. Anthony is also the chairman of SALT. And with that, I'll turn it over to him for the interview. Thanks, John. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at Matt's office and I'm seeing my own office there, John. So Matt and I share the same location, just on different floors in the same building. So yeah. you have good taste in real estate, Matt Brown. Yeah, I'm earning my way up. You know, one of these days I'm going to be on a higher floor. No, you're just, you're, just, you're probably on a lower floor because you're more cost conscious and <laughs> more commercial and entrepreneurially well, more successful. But I want to go way back. Let's go yeah. to Shearson Lehman Brothers. Yeah. Why just start there? Uh, what did yeah. you do there? Where were you? Were you down at 55 Water? Where were you? Yeah, no, uh, actually, San Francisco. Um, you know, I, I would describe myself very much as the accidental financial advisor. Uh, graduated uh, liberal arts degree. Uh, uh, was put in touch with a potential interview opportunity with a a firm I had never heard of for a job I didn't understand. I sat with the interview uh, at Shearson Lehman Brothers for to be a financial advisor. Uh, I met with a guy who literally looked like he was at a central casting for Wall Street. Uh, uh, walked out of there thinking, boy, that was a big waste of time. And the next day the phone rang and they offered me a position. Uh, and you know, back in the day, Anthony, we weren't as picky about getting jobs as maybe this generation is and so thoughtful. I was just excited to be offered a job out of college. I said yes immediately, probably didn't know what I was signing up for. Um, but I, I'll, I'll tell you the, the story there, which I think you'll find interesting. A year into it, I asked him, uh, the gentleman that interviewed me, who since became a good friend and mentor of mine, that why would you take a risk on a kid with a liberal arts degree, no finance, didn't have a finance degree, didn't have an economic degree, and he said, because when I interviewed you, we spoke for two hours and I can teach people math, but I can't teach people how to communicate. 
and how to, and communication's key. And that really was a lesson for me. And the first kind of moment of, oh, I get it, that business and finance is about personal relationships, trust, uh, and also, of course, the numbers and the spreadsheets, but you really have to have both sides of it. So I was a financial advisor for uh, five, six years before starting my first company uh, in the mid nineties, uh, which is in the alternative investment space. So, so you, you, you do well at Lehman, you catch the uh, wave of the bull market at that time. I experienced yeah. that as well. If you and I could only go back, Matt, because we didn't realize in our youth how easy things were. And we probably took for granted those 25, 30% sparkling returns. Yeah. Uh, but why'd you leave? Why would you take a risk? You got a great job working for a great firm. Why do you leave? I think, you know, it's, it's a couple of reasons. You know, when you're young, you know, I was in my 20s, I uh, always had that entrepreneurial bug, started a business in college. Um, I had an idea. Uh, I had an idea to kind of strike out on my own and, you know, talk to a, a number of, you know, people I respected. And I think the same answer kind of came back, which is if you think you can do it, uh, and give it a shot, you know, do it now because Sherson Lehman will be there when you, if you need to on the way back in. Uh, but you know, if you're going to strike out, do it young, fail fast, and, uh, you got your options. So that's what I did. The only difference there is that I never really, uh, ever back to the big company uh, game and just always wanted to, to be in the seat of an entrepreneur. Okay. So you leave, what do you start when you first leave? What's the first business startup? So first business was um, a fund that was investing in technology uh, and uh, and healthcare companies. Uh, and it was really an exciting time. This was kind of the late 90s. Uh, we were investing in private companies privately. We we're investing in public companies privately. Um, it's also the window of time that I probably have my biggest business regret uh, which is that I was negotiating with a, uh, a small, struggling technology company in the Silicon Valley in the late 90s. They wanted a $20 million private placement. Uh, and, you know, we had the upper hand. They were a little bit in a distressed situation. I was probably a little too young to hold back, probably asking for too much. You know, they didn't end up doing the deal with us. Uh, and I missed the opportunity. And that company was Apple Computer. You may have heard of it. Uh, and that $20 million uh, would be worth over $15 billion today. Uh, so lesson learned there. Uh, always make sure you do a fair deal. Uh, you never know who you're negotiating with. Uh, it could be the next Apple computer. You know, I mean, and the, you, you and I both know there was a lot going on, right? Because Apple, at one point, Michael Dell, when they asked him what Steve Jobs should do upon his return to Apple, he said, give the cash back to the shareholders. You know, of course, that upset Steve. And Steve famously, when uh, Apple crossed the market cap of Dell, he sent out that uh, yeah. public statement, you know. Yeah, yeah. So you never know what's going to happen in life. Of course, you're looking at a person that had the opportunity to invest in something called Uber at a $25 million valuation. And I looked at these guys like, I'm not going to put my daughter in a car from a black car and no one knows who the hell the person is. And if you look at my American Express receipts, Matthew, you'll see that my daughter's all over the place in these Ubers. And I got that thing ridiculously wrong. Yeah, um, yeah. But you got a lot of things right. One of the things you got right is Case. It's a fintech company that you founded. You've run it for more than a decade. Uh, for those people that are listening and that don't know anything about Case, 
Tell us what Case is. Yeah, Case is a, you know, a technology platform that connects alternative asset managers like firms like you, Skybridge, to this highly fragmented uh, community of independent wealth advisors and financial advisors across America. A lot of people don't know uh, that wealth management really is, you know, it's a story of uh, two cities. You have big firms like Morgan Stanley and Merrill and Goldman Wealth Management. Uh, and there's, you know, a dozen of those firms and they control about 50% of the wealth, a little over 10 trillion. But there's also $10 trillion in independent wealth. And that's tens of thousands of smaller firms that are entrepreneurs that have built their own wealth management practices, many of which have come out of big firms to start their own. And they lack the infrastructure to really, uh, in many ways, service their clients with the right products and information. So we thought, you know, in kind of a, I like to call it a bit of a David and Goliath story. I'm always up for a good fight there. You know, it, why don't we build a platform that is a bit like a JP Morgan, Morgan Stanley platform for third-party asset managers, but why don't we do it in the independent channel and give them a chance to have the same platform experience and the same access to product and education around alternative investments. And, you know, early on, it was a slug. I got, you know, there's no shortcuts in building a business, but uh, I got to say in the last few years, especially with COVID uh, now kind of really kicking in, we've been able to just change the behavior of advisors to really use platforms. And so let, let's describe that to a lay person. Um, use the platform. And so basically uh, you have alternative investment managers that you've vetted. They're on your platform. Uh, advisors can then click on the technology that you've created to access easily the paperwork and to create the transaction and all of the detailed paperwork and paper trail, if you will, uh, with your help. Is that fair to describe it? Yeah, that's that's definitely part of it. Um, there's a, a lot more that that is important there. You know, we serve two communities. Uh, we serve financial advisors that are on our platform, but we also serve the asset managers that list their products on our platform. So when we think about the user experience or the value prop for both sides of our community, financial advisors and asset managers, I'll start with the financial advisor. Well, what do they what do they need? What problems are we solving for them? Well, alternative investment funds are hard to access, big minimums. Um, so we reduce those minimums down to $100,000, uh, $250,000. They're challenging to understand. So we've invested, a, uh, uh, made a huge commitment to education, scalable education uh, on these products and asset classes. Um, they are challenging to due diligence. And we partnered with Mercer, the global leader in uh, operational investment due diligence to vet all of these funds. And then when you finally understand them and how to implement them uh, in a client portfolio, you wanna go buy them, they're very cumbersome to buy. So we've digitized the entire process to make it really as close to buying a mutual fund as you possibly can get at this stage of the game. Though, you know, a little spoiler alert, there's a lot of change coming and innovation coming, which we can talk about in the industry. But uh, yeah, we really kind of have built the entire end-to-end -end workflow for that. Seems to, seems to be a big shift taking place. It seems like the uh, investment world, the uh, financial advisors becoming more independent. They're leveraging technologies like the ones at Case 
and other vendors. Uh, it seems like the wirehouses, which would include some of the large investment banks that have huge brokerage teams and FA teams, are losing their grip a little bit on the uh, on the business. So, do I have that wrong? Are there more independent RAAs today? In this case, helping those independent RAAs. There, the independent wealth community, the RA community, is absolutely growing. Um, the wirehouse community, the large firms, are also growing. So wealth is growing overall. Um, we are a key player in the mosaic of service providers that will help an independent RIA compete with a more established wealth management firm that may, in this case, have access to an alternative investment platform. So there's many, many different uh, service providers out there that are trying to, in one way, shape, or form, recreate the infrastructure, access, or education that a wealth advisor needs to best serve their client. Uh, so yes, we're really trying to champion that on behalf of the wealth advisor. Okay, explain the case value propositions on both sides, or the yeah. alternative investment manager or the private equity person or long only, and the, and the FA. Tell us what the, what the, uh, the benefits so the, are. So on the FA side, uh, as I just mentioned, it's the user experience, it's making information and product accessible, and it's streamlined execution, which was very cumbersome in the past. Um, and that package, that turnkey, if you will, is really allowing alternatives to be accessible and investable in end client portfolios. The value prop to the asset manager, whether you're a private equity manager or a hedge fund manager or real estate manager, crypto, private credit, venture, all things alternative, they're looking at the case platform and saying, wait a second, there's a multi-trillion dollar pool of capital out there in the independent wealth space that have allocation rates of less than 2% in alternative investments. Not because they don't want alternatives, but they lack the access to them. And the case platform has a very efficient way to deliver those new investors. So if I'm a uh, an asset management firm and I want to grow and diversify my shareholder base in a channel of investor that I don't normally spend time in, we're a very efficient way to be able to, to do that. In many ways, Anthony, these two communities have for so long wanted to meet that the resistance isn't around alternative asset managers wanting wealth management as shareholders or investors or wealth advisors wanting alternatives. It's the mechanisms and the industry structure that prevented it, and we're ironing that out. Make, makes total sense to me, and I and I think it's at a very exciting time in our industry because technology like yours is making for greater independence, greater freedom, also broader choice and ease of use. I mean, it's a combination of these things that makes the case platform so valuable. Uh, you've made some big investments in education technology in addition to the core investment platform. Yep. What's your vision for what you're calling Case Q? So Case IQ, our educational platform, um, yeah, we are investing a lot in education. Uh, you know, I think, you know, this 10-year journey that we've been on, you know, we started where I think many other platforms have started. Some have stopped there as well, which is, hey, if we make it easier or a little more seamless, we're going to be able to, you know, make this transaction flow increase over time. And that's not incorrect. It's just not the full story. 
financial advisors will access alternatives if it's made easier, but they're certainly not gonna access alternatives just because it's easy if they don't understand the products or they don't understand how to implement the strategies or they don't understand how to talk to their clients about the strategies. So when we realized that, and that was a real turning point for Case, that this is really about education first. Uh, and that's when we started to really lead with learning, not lead with product, not lead with a wealth, wealth tech solution to make subscription documents faster. This is really about educating financial advisors, bringing knowledge and information around strategies, around fund and product, and doing it in a scalable way. So Case IQ is the leading AI-powered, artificial intelligence-powered learning platform that uses machine learning and light AI to understand on a one-on-one -on -one basis how the financial advisor is learning and then delivering information to them around these strategies uh, over a period of time. Makes total sense. I, I, I love it. You start in 09. The world is totally different. The phone that we have is way more powerful. Uh, we had a pandemic. So now we're talking the way uh, George Jetson talked to his wife. Uh, here we are together. Uh, big differences in the last 10 or 12 years. Um, so tell us what the next 10 years are going to look like. As, as it relates to case, uh, specifically, the next decade is um, it, it's very exciting. I think that I think a lot of entrepreneurs probably believe they were early on ideas. I don't think that's a an uncommon thing to hear from an entrepreneur or a founder. Um, I can say without doubt, we were very early on this idea. Um, things needed to catch up. I, I do remember having conversations in 2011 and 12, 13 with big asset management firms. And we were talking about delivering the independent wealth channel to them as investors. They were kind of scratching their head saying, why would we ever do that? Now it seems you can't speak to an alternative asset manager without them saying, Wealth is our number one channel priority. Uh, just look at Blackstone, let's look at Carlisle, KKR. So we were early on that. So we really feel the momentum in the flywheel. COVID has just absolutely accelerated platform adoption. And the reason is, is because the average age of a financial advisor is 56 years old and technology and building their business with tech has not always been a priority. But when the pandemic came and it forced a change in behavior, it forced an adoption of technology and we were right there for that. So we really feel like this is a, an exciting time, as you said, a lot of great tailwinds around regulatory environment, structural environment to make this go. What you're gonna see is, I think two things, case continuing our mission to democratize access, fill in the blank. It's not gonna stop at just what you and I would call alternative investment funds. There's more out there. Um, anywhere that we can level the playing field uh, for every financial advisor um, and maybe even beyond, uh, to the end investor, you know, 15 years ago, there was only a fraction of the investment information out there. And you usually went to a financial advisor to learn. Today, individual investors are getting information everywhere. This is the day of Robin Hood. This is the day of betterment. So we got to think about that end investor in a different way. Um, so new products and democratization uh, for sure. But the real change here is going to be what you're talking about, this, this impact that really forward technology is going to make on all industries, including ours. I mean, Anthony, you and I today can go to JFK airport. We can cut the line with TSA because someone told them that at some point we're actually not bad guys. And that seems to be good enough for us to get on an airplane. 
But if I want to invest in Blackstone's real estate fund, I have to photocopy my photocopy my driver's license and send it to them and manually fill out a form. I mean, that's ridiculous. So with blockchain, with other technologies, it's not about, as we say, kind of, you know, putting landlines in faster. It's about skipping two steps and going straight to mobile. So it's not about making subdocs more efficient or subscription processes more efficient. It's about eliminating them completely. And you're going to see that change happen. And when it does, it's going to have a massive impact on the way advisors allocate. Because if you can start to buy alternatives, like you buy an ETF with a QSIP and accreditation rules for end investors are changing to include an educational requirement, not just a high net worth requirement, uh, you're going to see a massive change. What's happening today is that alternatives are replacing active management. And that's a sea change of allocation. It may, makes sense. I got to turn it over to the erstwhile John Dorsey, who dressed up for this occasion. I uh, didn't realize that he was going to be with two old timers that were dressing like millennials. So now he's he's dressed like the old timer. He's got questions for you. And uh, it would be remiss of me not to include him. That's really funny, though, because you're you're wearing a hoodie trying to look cool. <laughs> I got this vest on trying to. And, uh, and oh, I mean, you even got great product placement. I'm I'm placing product for Ralph Lauren. I got to get a Skybridge or a case yeah, hoodie yeah, uh, yeah. going next time. I'll send you a case. I'll send you a case vest. And at least Matt embraces his distinguished salt and pepper hair, whereas you know you have too much shoe polish in there. It's very visible on, on the camera, Anthony. Just I'm just saying. He's going to ignore that one. But uh, Matt, why I'm ignoring that? Let me tell you why I'm ignoring that. Okay. <laughs> It's not shoe polish, okay? This is very terrific permanent dye. And I also put a little bit of a glaze on it. I was experimenting with a glaze prior to the salt conference, okay? So it's not quite what he's saying, okay? But go ahead, keep going, Darcy. Yeah. When he needs needs the shoe polish, he'll be calling me because I'm an expert on hair color. Okay, but go ahead, keep going, John. So I want to start with a little plug about our partnership uh, related to salt. You talked about Case IQ, and one of the things... Now, I was very familiar with Case going into our partnership, but didn't fully appreciate what you guys have built with Case IQ and, and how important that is to the educational process for both advisors and helping you know investment managers that are on your platform communicate their unique value proposition to uh, your distribution partners. But we have a, a SALT Learning Center uh, that we're partnered with Case on for the conference where we are you know, enhancing some of that education that we are both passionate about. It's why we launched SALT. It's why you guys launched Case IQ and it's part of your mission with Case. Could you talk about the thinking again behind Case IQ and the SALT Learning Center and what we're doing for the conference? Yeah, really important. So let's just take a a half step back. I'm a former financial advisor uh, and I know a lot of financial advisors and have throughout my entire life. And I can tell you one thing, financial advisors do not talk about things they don't understand. Uh, They have that special role, they are the advisor consultant to their client. They, they are to a large degree expected to know a lot about a lot of different things. So if you don't understand as a financial advisor, a hedge fund or a private equity strategy or a crypto strategy, there's a very good chance it's not gonna come up in a conversation, certainly not gonna end up in a portfolio. So we wanted to understand how can we get education on this out and broad, but there is no real method. You know, white papers, seminars, all manual, no one reads them, PowerPoints, 
you know, forget COVID even attending anything. So we needed a modern approach to learning. And I met an individual named Andrew Smith Lewis, who spent his entire career at the intersection of, of AI, machine learning, and um, he built an amazing platform. And I made him an offer he couldn't refuse. I said, let's go transform uh, education and wealth management. So we built a case, uh, the most modern learning application, where we gamify learning in a way and measure impact of that learning uh, through data uh, for each individual advisor. Fully scalable, it's on an app, on a desktop. And what we're finding now is that many, many of our advisory firms, whether big or small, are really wanting their advisors, or in some cases, mandating their advisors to interact with Case IQ before they make their investments on behalf of their clients. And that's really, it's really making a difference. Advisors are feeling more armed with information, uh, having better client conversations, and we're doing what we want to do, which is, you know, lead with learning and transform this industry. Yeah, I mean, I think you you hit the nail on the head with all that. At SkyBridge, one of the things uh, and one of the reasons why we've been so successful in distributing our fund-to-funds products uh, uh, into the financial advisory community is that focus on education and engaging with the advisor and engaging with their clients to help them understand what they're investing in. Like you said, the advisor likes to be able to sound intelligent and be educated on products that they're putting their clients in. And if they're not, they're not going to transact. And so I yeah. think what you guys have built is amazing. The way you've gamified it, you know, talk about potential regulation in the pipeline around, you know, an education standard rather than a wealth standard for yeah. allocating to alternatives. I think you guys are are laying the groundwork for that. And we're very excited to integrate it with SALT for uh, SALT New York, which we're, again, excited to partner with Case on uh, in September. So we're, we're excited about that and having a lot of advisors that are in your community attending the conference, both in person and virtually, and a lot of the funds that are on your platform participating as well. Um, yeah. And I have to I have to say uh, the, the reception from the advisor side that we've been able to invite uh, has just been overwhelming. We know we're we're at capacity, um, and we are at a waiting list right now. So um, it seems like the Salt Conference is really it's getting a lot of traction, and the um, I'm happy to open it up to the RA community. It's great. Yeah, absolutely. And and you guys are a great partner on that. So you, you talked a little earlier about some structural changes that you're seeing in the industry that are paving the way for greater democratization of alternative investments. We've already seen you know, several fintech companies that are popping up that are in their earlier stages. You guys are much more uh, mature and robust in, in your offering and your business uh, tackling the technology side, but there are structural barriers. Uh, there are structural opportunities around things like you know, minimums and, and things of that nature. There's regulatory barriers, there's tech and data barriers. How are you guys addressing those and what are those trends that you're seeing? If you could just explain those again to the audience. Yeah, sure. There's um, there's just a tremendous amount of tailwinds when it comes to the intersection of wealth management, alternative investments, technology, fintech. Um, and you know, obviously we're not the only platform that is benefiting from that. Um, some platforms that are very close to what we're doing are, are doing great. Others that are kind of in adjacent businesses are, are feeling that, but again, our view is anyone who's contributing to the narrative, to the impact of changing the industry is welcome. Uh, we very much believe that like every other aspect of Wall Street and also wealth management, this is not a, a one market or one platform uh, a business. You're gonna have a handful of winners, just like there's a handful of custodians, a handful of reporting providers that are doing great work and that innovation and competition is critical. Uh, 
Some of the bigger trends, I'll just take the regulatory trend for a second. Um, you know, for some reason, it's taken a long time, but our government finally realized that just because you're wealthy doesn't make you smart. Uh, and um, I think that's great because if I went to a, a great school and decided to get my degree in business or in finance and then decide I wanted to spend my time in the nonprofit community and not earn a lot of money, but yet I understand complex investments or alternative investments, you know, up until recently, I wasn't able to invest in them because I wasn't wealthy enough. But at the same time, there could be an individual who may not know anything about alternative investing, but inherits lots of money, or maybe they sold a business. And so wealth does not equal capability. And that's actually a huge step forward in democratization of uh, access for all, um, which is a big and important theme. The So that's the kind of regulatory side. The other side of it, of course, is just structural. Um, we are seeing more and more innovation right now than ever, we've ever seen before with asset managers creating more wealth-friendly investment structures to deliver their strategies to the wealth community. And when I say wealth-friendly, what do I mean? Investment minimums that can be scaled across their entire book of business. Um, investment structures that do address lower investment minimums and also accreditation requirements. Um, reporting that's been made easier and faster. Um, so there's real structural change at work here. Uh, and I think there's a, a complete adoption uh, happening on the wealth side uh, at scale as a result of that. Um, right. Of course, you're also seeing technology play an enormous role as we talked about. Um, you know, look at what uh, Apollo just did uh, and their announcement with, uh, I believe it was Figure, the blockchain company to tokenize funds. I mean, we could talk about that for two or three hours, but you know, when you start thinking about a world where there's no longer a need for a fund structure, right? right. And you're still able to replicate the rules base of that or legal base of that, yeah. that that's a game changer. Yeah, Figure is a fascinating company. We had the president of Figure, Asif Herji, on on Salt Talks, right. and what they're doing, you know, taking blockchain technology tokenization and bringing it into the institutional world. It's certainly fascinating. I got a question about crypto digital assets. So you guys have a uh, a Bitcoin fund on your platform, Galaxy. We're great friends with Mike Novogratz, uh, you know, great fans of what they're doing over there. As you guys look at an asset class, I, I don't need your opinion on on whether Bitcoin's going to a hundred thousand or a million dollars a coin, but as you guys look at a new asset class and how to onboard those types of products onto your platform, how to educate people around that, how do you guys think about that? Are you are you more cautious? Are you more responding to customer demand on the product side, or or how did you tackle that decision about whether to include crypto on your platform and how to educate advisors around that? Yeah, so. You know, everything we do at Case for a marketplace. So we want to take the, the feedback that we're hearing from the community of investors or financial advisors and make sure that our platform is responsive on what they're interested in. So we started crypto not with a product on our platform, but with just educational uh, opportunities. Let's learn about crypto. Let's start getting a little more fluent on what this means. What is blockchain? Uh, what is Bitcoin? How does it work? Like, so... We found that the topic broadly of blockchain and crypto has from an engagement score level on our platform, the highest content engagement scores by far. Now, it could be because it's the 
the most popular and less and, and least understood. Uh, but more and more advisors are wanting to learn more and more. So we we wanted to make sure that we heard our audience, and then they started saying, "Well, if we want to take the next step and start to get exposure, how do we do that?" And that's when. We started looking at the field of players out there. We bring in our partner, Mercer, who does the due diligence. And um, we got very comfortable with, uh, with Galaxy, uh, with Mike Novogratz's uh, firm and fund. And we started there. Uh, and uh, we will be always pushing the envelope to a large degree on newer strategies. Um, you know, it's good to have your core basic four food groups, right, on the, on the shelf. But you also have to have a few other things that are a little bit more satellite. Uh, and that's right. what we're doing with crypto, and we're going to continue to do with other things. And I know uh, Andrew Smith-Lewis is very crypto-enlightened, and we're excited to have a conversation with him yeah. and Mike Novogratz on the case alternatives track at SALT. Very much looking forward to that one. Yeah, that's going to be a conversation. Yeah, it's going to be going to be fantastic. But as you look out on the competitive landscape for case, what do you see as 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 the competitive landscape for case? You know, obviously, like I was saying, there's a lot of firms that are iterating around fintech. Alternative investments are certainly an area that's hot in terms of companies you know, trying to create solutions to democratize access and go you know, either direct to consumer or, or through advisor channels. But what do you view as the competitive landscape? The, the competitive landscape is, is evolving. Uh, there are more and more platforms coming uh, to market in different ways, trying to kind of maybe put a different spin on, on, on approach. Um, there's a couple of very large players who are at least today dominating, uh, and we think that's that's fine. Uh, the real competitive forces, though, however, have nothing to do with any of these other platforms. We can call ourselves competitors. We can feel that we might actually, in some cases, be competing. But when you have a $10 trillion market in the independent wealth, the 2% allocation rates to alternatives, and then platforms like Case are only getting a small fraction of that. What we're really competing against is changing the behavior of financial advisors to use platforms. And I, I kind of liken that to, you know, how an Amazon has changed the behavior of how people shop. You know, you know, Anthony and me and you and John, like we will literally go and buy something on Amazon that we know is in a store less than a mile away from our house. Why? because we've now changed how we go shopping. We like Amazon, it's easier, it's faster, um, but, and we're just not gonna hop in the car and go to CVS anymore. And that's changed the behavior. There are more transactions happening in alternative investments by a huge multiple, the old fashioned way of an advisor finding it themselves, doing their own due diligence, maybe filling out cumbersome paperwork, than are happening on platform. So when I think about the competitive landscape, you know, I cheer anyone who's competing and adding value. That's a quasi competitor because what I think they're doing is educating the market for us. Really what we have to be doing is capturing all the transactions out there by convincing financial advisors that the single best way to be able to allocate to alternatives is on an end-to-end -end platform like Case, where there's right. education, product menu, due diligence, and transactional ease of use. So the pandemic has had a profound impact on a lot of different types of businesses in different ways. It's had a profoundly positive impact on fintech companies and on any technology-driven business. And 
I'm curious what you guys observed as the impact on the case platform, on funds that you work with on your platform, on advisors that you work with on your platform, you know, how they dealt with the dislocation that took place during March of 2020, sort of at the onset of the pandemic. But what's been the overall impact to your business and how you guys think about your business from the pandemic? Yeah, speaking of changing of behavior, that the pandemic, I mean, you know, obviously not all businesses did well. Uh, and, um, you know, we're, we always are, are grateful to be in the category that, um, you know, as a technology platform, we were in, in kind of the category that was positively impacted by that. What the pandemic did is it was the true catalyst to change behavior, as we just talked about. You know, as I mentioned, the average age of a financial advisor uh, is in their kind of mid to late 50s. They did not grow up uh, being digitally savvy in many cases. They built their relationships on handshakes, spending time with uh, with their clients. So all manual. Um, and, you know, we all are creatures of habit and we resist change. What happened in the pandemic, because the world did change, we no longer met with our clients face to face, has been a complete shift and adoption of technology across the board. Um, whether it's them needing now for the first time truly e-signature capabilities to sign documents, to video technology, to financial advisors no longer needing to meet people to make investment decisions or asset managers or, or their, their, their teams. So as a result of that, people really said, okay, you know what? This is my time to really take a step forward, be a little more digitally savvy, adopt technology in a big way. I need to do it for my business. And Case was one of many, many firms that fit that profile. As a result, our adoption rates of a business have skyrocketed, um, volumes have skyrocketed, uh, and we're uh, we're feeling uh, like this trend is not going to reverse back the old way, fortunately. Right. Well, Matt, it's been a pleasure to have you on Salt Talks. We're so excited for the partnership, Absolutely. both at Salt New York in September and going forward. We think, you know, given our shared values, given uh, the overlaps and some of the ways we look at business and democratization of alternatives. We're excited for that partnership, hopefully going forward uh, for many years. So thank you so much for joining us, Anthony. You have a final word for Matt before we let him go. No, listen, I think, uh, listen, as a fellow entrepreneur uh, who started out as an FA, I get the struggle. And uh, I think what you built is an amazing platform. And I'm super excited to see how case unfolds over the next decade, because I think it's going to be your best decade. And so, uh, for these young timers that are listening to the call or some of which that are participating on the call, uh, I know that you are my best day, decade is ahead of ourselves. Uh, thanks so much. And I, I know you're right. And um, thanks so much for the time. Look forward to salt. Send me the name of the shoe polish. I, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I could use it. I like your look. You could, man. I you like could use look. a little bit of sod replacement too. I, I'm going to work on you though. Don't <laughs> worry. Okay. Your wife's, when I'm done with you, Matt, your wife's going to be very happy. Okay. I, if I look like you, I'll be in good shape. Take care. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you again, Matt. And thank you, everybody, for tuning in to today's Salt Talk with Matt Brown, uh, the CEO of Case. Just a reminder, if you missed any part of this Salt Talk or any of our previous talks, you can access them on demand on our website at salt.org backslash talks or on our YouTube channel, which is called Salt Tube. We're also on social media. Twitter is where we're most active at Salt Conference is our handle. But we're also on LinkedIn, Instagram and Facebook as well. On behalf of Anthony and the entire SALT team, this is John Darcy signing off from SALT Talks for today. We hope to see you back here again soon.